Remain standing as we turn to the gospel lesson, which is found in Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down, and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Amen. When I turned my computer screen on this morning, there was Tom Brady, quarterback of the New England Patriots, staring me in the face. New England, in case you didn't know it, I'm sure some of you were waiting on every, every uh, moment to hear the news. New England beat the Denver Broncos and Tim Tebow. Now, I guess secular America can rest a little bit. God was just teasing, apparently. He is not really on the side of Tim Tebow. As one agnostic said, as he sighed in relief, thank God Tim Tebow thing is over with. I told you at one point I knew very little about Tim Tebow, but since I've brought myself up to speed on what is going on, when he, uh, of course, at certain points uh, in the game or before the game, he bows on one knee and puts his uh, fist to his head, uh, honoring God in the posture of prayer. Uh, why all the fuss over Tim Tebow? Can you imagine? Why all the fuss? Uh, what, uh, what motivates people to get all upset over him and even to say malicious things about him for no other reasons? He's a 24-year-old young man. He's just finding his way in the world and learning about life. And um, add to that, I, I think his lifestyle provokes people. Uh, he, he's not an ex-drug addict or anything else, and he seems to have lived a fairly normal Christian life growing up. Uh, his family were missionaries, Baptist missionaries to the Philippines, and he grew up uh, helping out in the orphanage, much like the Files who were here recently. And I think the real problem is, is his identity with Christ. What do you think? It's his identity. Uh, today, I want to focus on the idea of identity. And to take up this idea, I want to look at the baptism of the Lord 
As it is recorded in Mark's gospel, there is a fuller version of that episode in the life of the Lord in uh, Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel, uh, John the Baptist's ministry is described in further detail. And uh, what I want to look at is John's baptism as he baptized the Lord in the River Jordan. And this occurred just before Jesus' wilderness temptation and his public ministry. In some sense, surely this baptism was kind of an official act before he entered his public ministry. What I want you to, to uh, see is that in his baptism, Jesus actually was identifying himself with us, with our sinful humanity, so that we in our baptism might identify with his person and righteousness. John's baptism, what was it? Well, as you look in Mark's gospel, it obviously is important. And you've heard me say this before, but it is absolutely amazing how much space John the Baptist gets in the New Testament. He is an important figure in the New Testament. Jesus called him the greatest born of woman. A great human being, a courageous human being. And he came out of the desert. He, he did not live a conventional life. Neither did he eat conventional food or wear conventional clothing. He was rough-hewn, baked in the desert sun. A rough man, in some ways for rough times. But he came out of the desert to the Jordan River and he began to baptize people. Believe it or not, Jewish people, religious people. He called them out to the Jordan River to be baptized. <clears throat> and he called this a baptism unto repentance. He called people to repent, to repent of their sins. It was also a baptism of the confession of sins. He says, confess your sins and repent. Confession always precedes repentance in one way or another. He was also calling people out to flee judgment and to be reassembled in some ways as the new people of God. John's baptism in real sense is not Christian baptism. It is a baptism that can be fit into the cultural ways of Judaism at the time in the context of the doctrines of baptisms that you find in intertestamental Judaism. And uh, Jewish people baptized people as they were converted into Judaism. It was part of the process of proselyte baptism. But what John is really saying to the people is that everyone needs to understand, even the most religious, that you need to repent and turn to the living God. He's also saying that you can't count on your background. You can't count on what is going before in your inheritance. He says God is able in the Matthew passage to, of these stones, no doubt placed there in the time of Joshua, these stones can, can uh, give rise to a new 
people of God. God is creating something new here. And he's calling even the religious to turn to Christ and to be converted. Now, he did not know that it was going to be Christ until Christ came to the baptismal waters. Jesus was finally baptized by him. Jesus came too. Now, I can remember as a teenager, I didn't go to church much as a teenager, but I remember going a few times, and one of the things that disturbed me was a sermon on this passage. Because I knew enough from my Christian family that why was Jesus being baptized? Why was he, he really being baptized here? Well, for one reason, of course, is that the Holy Spirit came down as a dove and a voice from heaven rang out. And in a real sense, this is a manifestation on the River Jordan. We see Jesus being manifest truly as the Son of God. We often hear in some quarters that Christians made up the doctrine of the Trinity in the third and fourth century. If you hadn't heard that, you're blessed. But there are some sects and groups that think that. Because you see, the word of Trinity did not appear till later. The doctrine and the substance of it is already there. Here he is. You have Father and you have Son and you have Holy Spirit. I've been reading a, a wonderful but difficult work on the Trinity by T.F. Torrance. And it's a, it's a wonderful work. And he talks about the Trinity. And he says the Trinity really is the grammar and logic of God. If you want to understand who God is, you must indeed affirm and understand God as triune in his being and wisdom. Every other Christian doctrine fits under that. Every other Christian doctrine is illuminated by the doctrine of the Trinity. It can't be made sense of much of Christianity unless you see that undergirding that is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is very basic. And that is the reason that every year I try to preach one or two sermons on the Trinity. It is so basic. Here at Jesus' baptism in Jordan, God manifests himself as the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a manifestation to the world. This is a manifestation, clearly, that was comforting to those who, too, had come to baptism. But there's much more to be said about Jesus' baptism. This didn't trouble me so much. What troubled me about Jesus' baptism was that John was reluctant to baptize him, and I said, well, rightly so. Why wouldn't he? He had already perceived that Jesus was that one who would fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. He was the greater one that he talked about when he was questioned about his baptism. There will come one greater than me who will baptize you in the Holy Ghost. And as John came to the Jordan, uh, Jesus came to the Jordan, John demurred. No, no. And then Jesus said something rather strange, I always thought. Suffer to be so for now to fulfill all righteousness. Why then did Jesus have to be baptized? He says, suffer it so for now, certain kind of necessity, to fulfill all righteousness. 
Well, does that mean that Jesus was a sinner like the rest who needed to confess his sins? Well, the church has always confessed, based on the New Testament, that Jesus Christ is the spotless Lamb of God. We do not believe that he was tainted or corrupted in any way. He was fully man. But God withheld any human corruption from him that might have come from his earthly genes. It was a miracle. But we believe that Jesus was impeccable, sinless, the spotless Lamb of God. Why would he come then to the Jordan River to be baptized? All the others that were coming, including the Pharisees and the religious, they were coming to confess their sins. But this one had no sin to confess. Now, I always thought that odd, and it was uncomfortable to me to, to uh, know that he came to be baptized. I didn't have the key to that phrase, why do you be baptized and he says, to, to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? Does he need repentance? Well, if he had no sin, why would he need repentance? Repentance is the duty of the sinner. Repentance is the obligation of the one who confesses his sin to God to turn around and let the Spirit of God indeed work in his heart and life and work repentance in him through faith. Repentance, too, just as faith, by the way, is a gift. Jesus did not need this gift. Just as he did not need the gift of faith, he did not need the gift of repentance. He was holy seed, the spotless Lamb of God. Well, did he do it for some kind of example? I suppose there's some kind of merit in saying that Jesus came as an example but if we just simply look at Jesus as an example in all that he did in the New Testament, it doesn't quite get down to where uh, salvation really is, does it? Jesus actually didn't do things just for an example, though he did it for that reason. But there's a much deeper theological reason all the way through the New Testament why Jesus did things. What he was doing was efficacious. They were acts of God. And they were necessary for our salvation. His miracles, his teaching, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, and his coming again are all necessary for our salvation. He didn't just do it to be a good example. So why did Jesus come? You know, this gets to the heart of what the Bible is about. <clears throat> In the fullness of time, says the book of Galatians, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. He came and crossed that great gulf or divide that no man can cross from this side. And he came into our world and he stood with us. When he came to the banks of the Georgian, he said to fulfill all righteousness, he is coming to be baptized or identified with us in our sinfulness, in our lack of repentance, our weak faith. He stands here on the Jordan and he does so 
because God's great love compelled him to come and to stand with us and to be wholly identified with us in our sinfulness and unbelief. This is what it means to fulfill all righteousness. He comes. Think of that. He comes, the clean to be with the unclean, the righteous to be with the unrighteous. That one who is holy, privy to the divine life, comes and stands with the condemned criminal. That's what he's doing in his baptism. He's publicly identifying himself with you and with me. A great act of God on the banks of the Jordan River. Total sanction from the Lord. His Holy Spirit comes as a dove and the voice from heaven speaks out. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus identifies with us. But that also carries with it, carries with it an obligation on our part. If Jesus is willing to identify with us, then we ought to be willing to identify with him. This is what this baptism is. It is the baptism of Jesus standing with us, identifying with us, and his baptism calls to us that we might be baptized and identified in his name as well. You know, baptism gets much more play in the New Testament than a lot of Christians understand. It's a very important act. And what God sanctions and commands happens to be absolutely important. And what this calls for is that we might be identified with Jesus Christ. Every Christian is identified with Jesus Christ in their baptism. And let me say what this means. When you come to God through faith and receive his gift and you are identified with him in baptism, there's some wonderful things that happen here. When Jesus identified with the sinner, his faith becomes our faith and his repentance becomes our repentance. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. Martin Luther said at the cross of Jesus Christ, a great exchange took place. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. That's what it means to be identified with Jesus Christ. And it means that we are to work the works of repentance and to exercise faith in him, those gifts that we receive. A gift is given for a reason. God's gifts are to change us and to improve us. C.S. Lewis points out in several places in his works that God's love always is meant to improve us, never to leave us the same. And these gifts are to improve us. He gives us something that we might approach him. He gives us his son, Jesus Christ. Now notice what he received. Jesus in his baptism received the Holy Spirit. In his baptism, he receives the Holy Spirit. In our baptism, too, at its deepest level, the Spirit is promised. Notice what John says. I baptize you with water, but he comes to baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. When a Christian receives Christ, 
and the Spirit of God comes upon him, it is a completion of all that baptism means. And at the banks of the Jordan River, not only did the Spirit fall upon him, but he heard God's voice. And we are now open to the voice of the Lord when we identify with Jesus Christ. I want you to notice the exclusive verses of the New Testament. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That, my friend, is something that we understand. He is truth. He is the way. He is life. That becomes yours. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, says the apostle, when you identify with Christ through faith in him. Indeed, indeed, you have a redeemer who has redeemed you. The baptism of Jesus at the Jordan is very simply his identification with sinful human man that you through faith might identify with him. Tim Tebow, you know why I think the real reason that uh, there is a great deal of malice toward this uh, football player. He may not be the greatest football player, honestly. He has some tremendous physical skills, but uh, one of them is not being able to pass as accurately as the top quarterbacks. I, I don't think he's despised for that, though. He's better than some in the league. His identity with Christ, there are other Christians in the NFL and the NBA. It's surprising how many athletes are professing Christians. And some of them really do take seriously living for Christ. But I think that what Tim Tebow is as a person who is following Christ is a rebuke to those who don't. It's a kind of rebuke. He not only has identified himself with Jesus Christ, he's living out that faith and repentance in the National Football League. It's a rebuke. Every time in the off-season or when he gets a break, he goes to the Philippines to work and minister in the orphanage. It's, it's a rebuke to those who are hunting out the cracked ends to get a fix. And when he talks about his own life and his seeking of purity and saving himself from marriage, that, that, that really gets him. You see, uh, can't stand someone who actually takes seriously his identity in Jesus Christ. And yes, when he and his mother did, uh, what, a Super Bowl or two ago, the, the commercial on life, and he mentioned he was thankful that he had not been aborted. That too is a rebuke. Is he doing it intentionally? No. He has an identity in Jesus Christ and he's simply living it out from day to day. Someone asked Martin Luther again, what is the Christian life? He says, it is living out your baptism each day, dying and rising with Jesus Christ. 
There's a wonderful line in the Westminster Confession of Faith, and I'll close with this. It says that baptism puts a difference between you and the world. It's a mark. It's a sign. You know, I, I look at tattoos of people. There's, there's a mark. I know who, who the biker is. I know who so-and-so loves. It's a sign, isn't it? Baptism is a sign that puts a difference between you and the world. You are living out your life as a Christian under a holy sign through faith in Christ. It is your identity. And when it comes down to it, that's what you are. Praise be to God. Amen.